Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, May 31st of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor and an academician, gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday, and this Sunday is June 5th. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, and for our good friend Charles Willard in Minnesota at 5.30 a.m., our little team is working to be faithful to Lectionary Year C. That puts us in the Gospel of John on Sunday, and we hope this discussion will, will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions about a week ahead, and then in this virtual discussion room, we share and we encourage and we challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Charles Willard, Maple Grove, Minnesota. And I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina. Good to have all of you with us today. And our lead off to guide us through this discussion is our friend Sarah Mickelson. How are you, my friend? I'm well. And uh, we're looking at John, the 14th chapter, um, verses 18 through 27. Um, this, we're we are in the, the the final discourse of Jesus to his disciples, and uh, the setting would be um, the Last Supper. And uh, we are considering in John's Gospel the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then we are looking forward to Pentecost Sunday on June the 5th. Um, so reading from the New Revised Standard Version, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, an advocate, to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he is in you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me. But you will see me, because I live, and you will also live. On that day, you will know that I am, in, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by the Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, 
Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and I will, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Lord will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you what as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. I felt this might be a good moment to pause and acknowledge <coughs> the weight of the events of the last week and a half. Um, in the United States, we've experienced two upsetting, dynamically heartrending um, uh, moments: the Buffalo shooting in, the, in, in, in which a number of people died um, in a grocery store, and then last week we had a shooting where a number of children and teachers were killed in um, Uvalde, Texas. I think that, coupled with Memorial Day yesterday, uh, brought specific and and, and very directed um, feelings to the surface. And I think that one of the things we have to live with or confront in ourselves is our our humanity's penchant to do evil and and to bring heart-rending carnage into the lives of others. And so I think it's important this week to consider these words as we respond and, and heal um, to, to whatever extent we can from the events of this week. So my first question has to do with just that. How do you hear these words in this time and in this week? Um, Bill, I'll start with you. Uh, first of all, Sarah, Thank you for grounding us in the difficult uh, reality we live in right now. Uh, a quick story from seminary. The first time I wrote a New Testament exegesis paper and then attached a sermon outline and a sermon, I'll never forget the professor's comments written on the paper, and I'll paraphrase them. In effect, Bill, you, you, you did a good job of digging into the text, digging deeply, doing the word study, all of that, and thank you for the sermon. However, Bill, um, I think the bridge you built between the ancient text and the modern world is a little shaky. I would encourage you to work more to build a stronger bridge. However, Bill... Don't misunderstand me. We must take the risk of building that bridge, or else we're simply scholars standing in the pulpit lecturing about ancient texts. So I've never forgotten that image of we do need to build a bridge, and you're inviting us to do that, so thank you for that. Real quickly, what came to mind was the story in Genesis 11 of Babel. Now, there are many ways to understand that story, but there was one people, one language. 
but within their arrogance, they wanted to build a tower to heaven, maybe reminiscent of the the forbidden fruit in the garden, uh, wanting to know as much as God. Um, and we, according to that story, however you want to interpret it, um, the different languages, the differences became apparent. Uh, and I, my fantasy is that someone reflecting on how can we be one family and yet so different and divided. And the gospel has to do with reminding us that we are one family and that the differences will remain, but we can be one family. And specifically, uh, the, the New Testament gospel and the gospel of John uh, has to do with seeing, not just the physical act of seeing someone, but seeing ourselves as children of God, seeing Jesus as representing God, and seeing my neighbor as a beloved person. Recently, I was in a coffee shop, and the staff were wearing a shirt that said, no human is illegal. And I engaged the manager in a conversation. I may have shared this before on this podcast. A powerful commitment that every human being is of value. And I know I and others read Richard Rohr's meditations every week, and he often quotes from other people. In one this week, he quoted from a Dr. Jacques Lewis, having to do with the purpose of faith and religion is to be able to see, to see with greater clarity. And I like this phrase, which increases our courage and capacity to love ourselves, others, even our enemies. And goes on to talk about how seeing each other as um, created in the image of God empowers us to work through the differences based on color, gender, sexuality, whatever. Uh, and we know that the gospel is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so I would focus on that, Sarah, that it depends on how we see the other. And what disturbs me is that we have leaders who see that carnage and simply leave their feet in concrete so that they will not act to um, deal with the realities that, that make those kind of massacres possible in our country. Um, the other image, and I'll finish with this, somewhere during the seminary years, uh, mid-60s, the racial segregation um, conflict, I went to a uh, civil rights conference and the person used this imagery, we probably all heard it. There's a road with a, a sharp curve in it and uh, a deep ravine, and cars would periodically run off the road and fall down, and there was a crew that would go down there and tend to people. And some people think that's what the gospel is. When somebody falls off uh, 
a road, you go there and bind up their wounds. It is important. Other people said, no, we need to petition those in authority to do something to put guardrails on that curve to help prevent uh, what uh, harms people. Um, And I think the guardrails are what we need. Um, And I think the gospel helps us see the need to be down in the ravine, binding up wounds, but to be advocating for guardrails. I'll leave it there, Sarah. Thank you, Bill. Um, Don, what are your thoughts? How do you hear these words in this time and in this week? Appreciate the question, how? It took me a minute. And I, I needed to listen to other people before I realized what you were asking. It's like how it jumped off the page over the weekend if I wasn't paying attention. So the how is starting for me making a list of the circumstances of life right now. And I add to what the list that you provided, which is just, just a terrible, terrible, terrible burden, terrible tragedy, uh, just the business of life, business of living, uh, what we see and what we do every day. And it was a reminder to me that to read into this passage, this is a small group having a meal together in the scripture. There's no raising of voices, I don't think. I think they're talking at the tone we're talking with each other as they die. Very intimate, very, very intimate, but it's more than one person. So I think uh, how for me was to be intentional about where I am at a particular moment, a particular time, the business of life, yes, the simple, plain, domestic business of my life and others that are around me, merged with the news of the community, merged with what is pouring out of the hearts of people who literally are crying out sometimes around me and even in church. I heard their voices. What will we do? Oh, Lord, well, what can we do? Uh, and I think this isn't a passage that asks for a division of life or a segregation of tragedy or destabilization from the rest of our lives. And I think the question actually that's raised by Philip leads us there, and Charles, forgive me, because we don't really know what Philip meant in the question, but I'm going to interpret it, uh, what he was trying to do, uh, how it was to be read. And in his question, I think Christ is saying there's no looking away without seeing. And how, and I, I think, I'm, I'm just interpreting, I'm taking liberties here. But his question, you know, show us, help me be satisfied. Help me be full on what you're saying. Might have been a way to put aside doubt. When doubt is part of the walk, doubt is we're filled with doubt today. Speak for myself. It's part of our walk. It's part of how we gain understanding of each other and how, how spirit's moving. And the confidence that he's looking for might have been a segregation of life from from the walk with Jesus. And Jesus, this long discourse might have been about putting them back together. But it seems like being satisfied or saying additional information is enough, another translation, satisfied or enough. Enough? Like Jesus goes, enough? 
I think it leans more towards having confidence in Christ instead of what we're doing with each other. So there's a great deal of trauma that's going to follow in this story. It's going to follow this passage. And I'm wondering if it's about being able to see the world differently and act differently altogether. And so I like, I like the question in a strange way this time. The how is to look at that question. What is he really looking for? Or if I was asking the question, I think if I said words like that, I'm saying, oh, please take all the doubt away from me that I may look away and look to the future. And, uh, and this point, Jesus in the discourse is almost saying to everyone, remember that we're having this conversation. You might forget. Remember, remember, remember. Uh, and he asks for the collective, which I think is a neat little bit of poetry. So I'm saying, this is what I'm thinking. I got my hand up. It's like, on behalf of all of us, could you give us an up, please? And in that way, he might be saying it on behalf of everybody. And that's not the answer that Christ gives at all. Uh, there is no separation. There is no segregation of these things. We see each other and move forward. So your question was how. That's how I went about diving into this, Sarah. Thank you, Don. Charles, do you want to add anything? I want to ask um, a, a very minor question. I think it's a minor question, but it's, I, was, I was struck by it. Uh, when you were reading the text that we were going to be working with, Sarah, uh, you got down to the, the 16th verse of the 14th chapter, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another. And you added the word and between other and advocate. So it became, he will give you another, comma, an advocate, comma, to be with you forever. Is that the way your text actually was, or was I just mishearing? No, you weren't mishearing. Sarah was misquoting. Well, it was a very nice. It was a very nice twist on the on the text, and you know these things don't happen by accident. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I spent a lot of time looking at that because the. The, the the Holy Spirit, and we'll learn more about this in the, in the, in the text next week. The Holy Spirit um, is a, is an unusual phenomenon, and so I appreciate your calling it to our attention. Um, and you know, I think the Lord does work in mysterious ways sometimes; uh, His wonders to perform. The other one is I'm still. I'm still stuck with the events of this past week and the fact that I saw that I, I should have been able to pick it out and so I, I present it here on the screen, but I, I, I didn't think fast enough to do that, so I, I don't have it to, to, to show. But there's a, there's a, there, was a, there was a survey of countries in which terrible things like what happened in Texas, um, the rate at which they occur and the numbers of people who were involved uh, on a worldwide basis. And the United States is preeminently or um, whatever the reverse of preeminent would be, 
you know, it, 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 it stands alone. I mean, the countries, the countries who have problems like the one up in that, that occurred, or the reality of the, the, the terrible events that occurred up in Texas, and occur all, you know, with great frequency in our in our country. Our country, on, on, a, on a chart and a graph, it occupies a, a sole position, right up in the corner. The highest, you know, it's, it's, it, these kind of events happen here with greater frequency than any place else in the world. And we are alone up there. There's nobody, you know, nobody's coming anywhere close to where we are. We're right up there in the top corner. And the rest of the world is down here on, on, on the bottom. And I ask myself, the so-called greatest country in the world has this to show for its, 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 its greatness. It's great in being demonic. It's great in being destructive of other lives. It's just, it's, and I, it's just, it was just, I was yeah. discouraged all week. I'm with you. I'm right there with you. Um, you know what struck me in thinking about this question and, and reconciling the events of the last week and a half? Um, first off, that I can see why Jesus came. I can see the value. I can recognize in myself my... Um, my defiance from what the Lord would would bring to me as um, a, a way of living, I can see my in my own self um, my desire to have agency and my desire to be independent and and maybe that's been encouraged by a particularly American mindset. The individual seems to be very strong. The idea of the individual, let me say it that way. But in and of itself, um, I felt like all of that was an echo of how the disciples probably felt. Um, and and the, what we are experiencing on a small scale is is going to be echoed throughout time by many people. And And... And we're offered this glimpse of, of what happens in this little group of friends when trauma occurs. And I, I'm with you in that it seems to me that we're asked to bear witness, to to walk alongside as Christ followers. And I think our call is slightly different. Um, you know, I, I agree with you, Bill, that our first impression is to run to those that have that have taken the cliff option and driven the car off into the the ditch or if you will the ravine in this case and run to them and, and minister to them with medicine and with safety and bringing them back to um, functioning living healthy people um, or to stand with the families of the friends that, that don't know what to do with themselves, because I think that's the other piece of this puzzle. And and I think the word how is, is essential, Don. I think that, for me, was how are we to respond? How are we as Christ followers to respond 
to this hurting world that we somewhat participate in and yet live in as witnesses to the good work that Jesus brings, that is Jesus. So um, I thought about Mr. Rogers <laughs> and what a benefit it was to grow up in a time when you could watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood as a child. And he has this wonderful quote that he he reflected on after a shooting while he was still awake with us. Um, and it says, when I was a boy, I would see scary things in the news. And my mom would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And I think that's what we're called to do and how we're called to respond is to help in any way we can. And so for me, I started to reflect on this week and knit myself back together with the idea that there would be those attending, those who needed help, those who were helping and needed help helping, and in which case um, it became a prayer, and that was helpful to me. And um, it inspired me to take action. And I think that's the, the thing that needs to happen is we need to move from paralysis into action. And helping was the way for me to do that. So if that's of any benefit to anybody else, I'd be grateful. Question number two. What reminders has the paraclete brought to you this week? And to quote Brian Stafferton, that's not a small yellow bird or something that you wear on your feet when you're playing a sport. What has the paraclete brought to you this week? As you as you reflected on this particular text and as you considered the actions of the week. Don? Uh, it's not in the what I heard and experienced. It was the nudge to pay attention. It's like there's a beginning. And it, the paraclete's there all the way through, but it's that first moment. And it was a moment for me this weekend where it's like, pay, pay attention. And I think it had to do with also me not having any answers. You know, I'm not hopeless, but it could lean that way. And then just to shut up. Not, I have nothing to say at that time. I had nothing to say. I had nothing to elaborate on. So pay attention, especially especially in darkness, that's when you put your head up, especially in tragedy, especially in doubt, carry that doubt, express that doubt. Uh, and I think that's where the oneness is. We are one in paying attention to each other, not in, not in expressing ourselves. This, for me this week, not in say, I have nothing to say, but in paying attention to each other. And the voices that came to me, a wide range of them, uh, were what I found out was eager to hold up love, hold up passion, hold up empathy. And I just listened, just listened. And a lot of my life was enriched and it's just the first step because action is required. What's what the Lord require of me is seek justice, love, kindness, but they were doing that. And it's there. And that's that oneness. I think Jesus is saying in this, remember this, is that it'll, it's always there. There may be an individual expression of it, but it's, we're, it's always going to come back to, to love. Uh, and, and since we're one, uh, 
Others have been working on the project all along. I'm not quite sure I know how to express this, Mark. Others have been working on the project all along. We're not starting at zero. Maybe that's it. This is not a beginning. We've been there all along. There are stories to tell, life stories to tell. There is trauma. There's recovery. There's reunions. There's love. Uh, and this is a week where I'm just being quiet. And I'm absorbing that. And I'm thankful for the people that are willing to tell the stories across their lives. And I think Jesus, uh, and I'm leaping to another gospel, especially in Luke, where Jesus, you know, at times says to people, I know what's on your mind. I know you're thinking about a tower that fell on people, killed people. It seems so random. I know you're thinking about the slaughter of people. I, you know, I'm going to Luke. And I know that's on your mind. And then he encourages the oneness and the storytelling. We're aware of these things for each other. We're there for each other. So I just, you know, one of my notes was, that's a reminder to me, we're not starting at zero. This project is an ongoing project. We are surrounded by a cloud of empathetic, loving people. If, if I will just listen, who are there and can be, who are encouraged in their own way in their walk. And the reason I'm saying that, and we're, we're referring to our, our nation. We have folks that listen all over the world. I meet them, and I say hello to you today. But there is an American language right now that is filled with moral relativism, uh, moral equivalencies. It can be pretty brutal, uh, and it, yeah, it can lean towards hopelessness. And for me, listening, and you know, this cloud of folks that are already on the project, just say no. <laughs> There's just a resounding no through every little life story and every cry for, you know, what are we going to do? It was there. Uh, so uh, I think uh, that relativism is pretty ill-suited for the projects that we're on, you know, pursuits of peace and stability and health. Uh, and this week I heard and I saw love and unity and peace in new ways. I want to I highlight here, this goes back to Sarah, you saying how. I'm saying it's the beginning, uh, and I, I just want to make it clear I, that I think with Philip's question and what Jesus is doing in the discourse, there's not, a request, there's not a challenge here to make this academic. You know, there's a tragedy, and we're going to apply it to the – that's not, that's not what I'm doing. This is a project of empathy and then action, that there is a call for action, uh, and, and it begins with the realization that we're not starting from zero. We're not talking from moral relativism. We are one. All of our stories are united in a way so that we can take action. So that's step one. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, Don, I'll go ahead and jump in. Stepped away, so uh, Bill. Yeah, away. right. Real quickly, a, a couple of comments about the Greek language here, the New Testament Greek language. Uh, the word paraclete is a transliteration from the Greek word, uh, a noun. It comes from a combination of a preposition and a verb, parakaleo, which means literally to call someone alongside of you, or, or the, in this case, the noun form, to be that one who's called to be alongside of. Uh, the New Revised Standard Version translates it as advocate. Uh, some other uh, translations use the transliteration paraclete. The other word is spirit, penuma, which means wind or breath. We're probably more familiar with that. 
the wind blows where it wills, uh, etc. So there are two images here of the spirit. I, I think it's clear they both refer to the spirit. Uh, one is uh, the breath of life, the presence of the spirit as if it's as real as the air we breathe. And then particularly the function of being an advocate, to be an intercessor, to be someone there for someone, to be one of those helpers, to use Mr. Rogers' language. Now, the question was, what reminders has the paraclete brought to you this week? And I will, my mind focus on a couple of words, trust, do not let your hearts be troubled, do not be afraid, peace, spirit of truth, and the verb to abide. Mark Davis translates it as well. Um, and I, according to one source, more than half of the occurrences in the New Testament of this verb, which means to remain abide, occur in the Gospel of John. And it reminds me of our present-day emphasis on being present. Um, so, Sarah, your question is what reminders, and I like that word reminders. <laughs> it's not like we didn't know this before. We're being reminded. And so it's reminded me to trust God that there is peace even in the midst of our crisis and that the truth matters and that God abides with us and we can abide with others. Um, and as I thought about it and tried to make a study in John and the other Gospels, I think in some ways John has, uh, my words would be, the most, perhaps the most nuanced and robust understanding of the Holy Spirit among all four Gospels. And a lectionary note, each year, cycle A, B, C, the gospel lesson for Pentecost comes from John. Cycle A from chapter 20, where he talks about breathing the Holy Spirit on them and they can forgive sins. Cycle B is from John's chapter 15 and 16. Uh, the Spirit will testify for Jesus. He will guide us into all truth. He will glorify. And then cycle C, Sarah, which is this year's, passage is from John uh, 14, which you read to us, where, interestingly, Jesus talks about the works that he does as a testimony. Uh, and again, back to my favorite book in the New Testament, the Gospel of James, it's not about work salvation. It's about being knowing that we're saved and therefore remembering that we are to act. We are to work for peace. So it's a reminder, Sarah, that we need to work on guardrails as well as having competent people at the bottom of the ravine to bind up wounds. Um, and then one other thing, Sarah, that I'm reminded of, my personal favorite verse, verses about prayer are in Romans 8, chapters 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, 
because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In some ways, I've not known how to pray in light of these tragedies, Sarah. Um, But I take comfort that I pray, and somehow, even as I pray to God, the Spirit is interceding according to the will of God. Thanks, Bill. That that was really helpful. Charles, what about your thoughts? Um, I'm trying to think whether it's appropriate to. Probably not, so I'm, I'm going to pass. Okay, question number three. John reminds us, and Charles does too, that Jesus is the good news, is the way, is the light, is the good shepherd, is the bread, is the truth, is the true vine, is the door, is the resurrection and the life. Mark Davis's blog this week from, I think originally it was from 2016, invites reflection about our participation with the Holy Spirit. From last week's conversation, we explored the relationship with um, the indwelling and the oneness of Jesus and God together. Given the intersection of these ideas, I think sometimes the Holy Spirit works in that way too, how do you engage in the work of the kingdom here and now? And I think that's the important part, the engagement. Um Charles, do you want to throw anything in here? No, thank you. Bill, do you want to throw anything in here? Uh, I will add a couple of thoughts, Sarah, because, again, I think all questions are important, but this is perhaps the most important. Therefore, given all that we understand, and we understand that we don't understand, uh, I think... When the day is done, uh, having read all four Gospels and the Spirit in the Old Testament, we've only just begun to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. But I like the mantra, um, if you don't understand all of God, act on as much as you do understand. So I take that to heart. Mark Davis, uh, along with his exegesis of this passage, there was a link to another article uh, called The Politics of Scripture, and in it he advocates that the church be both humble and bold, if I may take that imagery. In humility, I must admit, I don't know what all the most effective laws would be and guardrails about guns in this nation. I, I, I don't possess that omniscience. But I think the church must be bold to advocate that there is a far more excellent way to manage our lives. And the idea that an 18-year-old can buy a weapon of war, a weapon of mass destruction uh, is in this country and do so legally makes no sense whatsoever. So we must be humble and bold. And the other is um, this resource, uh, the the Christian Century article this week uh, about the spiritual direction movement. In it, um, 
a person, Angela Reed, tells a story of a pastor early in his ministry was driven simultaneously by the desire to please others and the desire to control them. I think that describes a lot of our leadership today. They want to please others and be reelected. One politician this week was asked, why are you unwilling to consider anything in terms of better management of firearms? And he said, I think very honestly, because if I don't, I won't get reelected. The idolatry was I must be reelected. So this pastor had the desire to please others and to control them. And we see that going on. And through spiritual direction, this writer says, he gradually came to understand that the Holy Spirit is already at work in every human being to fulfill God's purposes. This insight allowed him to work with others and himself with greater patience and clarity. Um, uh, again, I, I don't have the answer, but we must be humble and bold, guided by the Holy Spirit. I have found myself um, wanting to take action in some inspired to become more informed, inspired to become bolder in my questions. And and it, and and I agree. Humble in my knowledge that I am woefully underinformed and woefully unengaged, and um, and and willing to to not make waves because I don't have a solution to offer. And I think this is one of those moments where we are invited to at least acknowledge we want to make a change that we want to find a solution, that we, f- we feel that the situation is untenable. And this inspiration to an honest and forthright apolitical conversation about what we're seeing is unacceptable. The results of whatever the situation is have brought us to our knees. And that we are together going to find a better solution and not against each other. And I think, you know, my my perspective is that when somebody throws an objection now, I'm going to go, okay, fine. What, what, (laughs) what study are you referencing and how is that going to help your posture? And why are you not taking any action? You know, those are my, you know, follow along questions because those are the questions I'm holding myself accountable to. And that, that, lets me invite others into a dialogue that is not based upon a defensive perspective, but on this intense sense of, of um, pain, I think, that we all have to at least acknowledge that, that until it's our family, we can't really step back. We have to say, this is our family. All of this is our family. And, and, and go, you know, I, I think that we're all on the hook for it. Don, what are your thoughts? Uh, so the question is, how do we engage in the work of the kingdom now? And I'm asking everybody who's listening to imagine, not out of hubris, just to, to make a point, 
that 50 years from now, the digital recording of this will probably still be around. What is it? What is it? Is, is it a political discussion? I actually don't think it is. Uh, you know, what is it? Uh, in, in the, the lights and the trials and the tragedies and the challenges and the health issues and the poverty and the hunger, whatever it may be 50 years from now, what are we talking about? And I'm not trying to distance myself. We are locked in, like you said, everybody on their knees right now. Uh, I hope, and I think, for me, listening on my knees. Uh, what, what is this then? And what I'm getting from Philip's question, I think being batted down. Philip's question being, uh, how can I be satisfied? Let me tell you, if I have satisfaction the way Philip's talking about, I'm probably going to have a life of empathy drained out of me if I have that kind of satisfaction, because all's okay. It's another kind of moral relativism. You know, make me satisfied. Everything's all done. Everything is, it is finished in a way that that's not what Christ meant. Uh, so it's all drained out. And I, and, uh, you know, in a sense, I, and again, I'm, I'm making, I'm overriding something from my heart on Philip. This is not fair, but you know, it's an invitation to retreat, which Jesus wants something just the opposite. So I'm going back to his question. And in 50 years from now, what is this? I'm not, I don't have the answer, actually. But I think, because what I'm sensing as I paused and I began to listen, the cloud of witnesses, the people who are beginning to tell their own stories, are enriching me, not just to make me comfortable, not to be satisfied like Philip. You know, it's like, oh, I feel better because somebody said everything's okay. I'm hearing the angst and the anger and the frustrations, but I'm also hearing life stories. These are people, people filled with love and love in their searching and empathy in their searching. And that, you know, just 50 years from now, if one person is listening, we're filled with empathy and searching and love. And we are pausing to listen to the stories and traumas of people's lives. I have nothing to say. I just, I am absorbing that, but I'm also feeling the prompt that there's action is also required in this, but we are not here we are 50 years in the past. We're not at zero at all. The project goes on. And I depend on the, the oneness that we have, each of the individual stories collectively to come together so that we can take action. So that's what I've been thinking. So I'm listening carefully. I shut my mouth. I need to see this vast cloud of people. Uh, and remembrance, remembering, remembering is a part of it. And instead of putting things aside, which includes difficulties, those difficulties of my own life are wrapped up in the happiness and the joy and the health, the ill health with the health, the loss with the reunion. All those things are coming together, and it's a chance to meditate, not, not to be satiated, but to be able to take action because life is that rich. And sometimes I forget. I need the oneness, people to remind me of how wonderful it is in this joint pursuit that we have, not starting at zero. So that's where I am on this, Sarah. Thank you. So rich. Um, the words light bringer, encourager, truth teller, listener, come alongside her. I'm making up new nouns. Um, and asking. <laughs> I think I think sometimes that's all we are asked to do. And and I want to nudge us out of paralysis into. Um, 
a moment of, of stability into a moment of responsiveness. And I think that's the important characteristic is that this particular passage and this particular moment have invited us to look, to listen, to to witness and to and, and, and to empathize, which are all valuable and incredibly good things to be doing. And and to take action. Um, to be an advocate for the benefit of the kingdom of heaven here and now. That's all I got this week. That's a lot. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Those questions were remind the listeners. Uh, we we pull those questions together every week, kind of as a test in a way. You know what works, what doesn't, what generates conversation. Because Sarah's brilliant, they're always wonderful. But also, if you're moderating a class, teaching a class, facilitating a discussion on this passage, there are ideas. Try them, and we'd like to hear from you if they work or do not. Palmasia Presbyterian Church is located at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida, and they make they make this podcast possible. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. At that site, you'll find other discussions of scripture, disagreements, debates, prayers, reflections, outstanding sermons, wonderful music, opportunities to take communion. So we commend that site to you, and you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.